want to start with a question that I'm curious about. How do you feel about everything being named after you in some way? <laughs> yeah, it's a little awkward at some point. I, I look, I mean, I, I can't... I can't complain because to some degree, at least the early stages of it were, were a little bit by design <laughs> where, um, you know, when a lot of folks know the story of how Khan Academy got started, I was tutoring cousins and I started writing software for them and it was all web-based. So you have to find a domain name. Right. And I picked Khan Academy. I was like, oh, it's a family project. But it was like, it was a little bit more than that. Uh, I, I, even then I had the somewhat delusional thought that, you know, maybe this could turn into a real thing. And I did not, I could have called it like education planet or something something that sounds like a typical like education like ed tech kind of ed tech kind of thing and I, I i thought well you know what what if this could be something bigger than that what if this could be like a like an institution uh, and i'm like well all, all the institutions i know of you know the really reputable ones they're they have someone's name in it um and so or they have a, a place oftentimes yeah, too, yeah. You, yeah. And, and so and they're not called like academic planet they're called things like khan academy uh, so that was the original thinking behind Khan Academy having the name. And it was just a hobby at the time. You fast forward to 2008, 2009, when I set it up as a not-for-profit, and that's where I had to decide, what do, what do you name the nonprofit? And nonprofits, no one controls a nonprofit. It's not like a traditional um, startup where someone might have a majority and just kind of control it. And so my insecure side said, well, let me just put my name in it. It'll make it very hard for them to get rid of me. <laughs> uh, as a, a nonprofit, I, I mean, I'm, it was true. That's that's why I, it seemed to work, and it worked. I yeah. was, I, they haven't Still got rid of me yet. Um, so, so that's the Khan Academy. Why, why the name got in there? You know, Khan Lab School. It was one of these things where, in 2013, 2014, when we were thinking about starting the school, originally we thought it might just be like a, a little bit of like a pod school. We, we weren't sure to what degree it was, but we still were going to set it up as a not-for-profit just for liability purposes and all of that. And when I told the Khan Academy board that, hey, you know, you might see me be, you know, starting another nonprofit, it's, but it's just like a little pod schooling thing. You shouldn't worry about <laughs> it. Um, some of the board members said, well, no, this is, this is one of the reasons why I got excited about Khan Academy. Khan Academy can scale, but you're trying to reimagine holistically what learning could look like. Um, this should be... This should be part of the broader umbrella. And so there was a lot of debate. I mean, there was even talk in the other day, should it be part of Khan Academy? Like, that doesn't make sense, because it's like, all, you know, people are donating to Khan Academy, and they don't want, we don't want to give the impression that that's donating to subsidize uh, the school, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, we realized that the school would benefit from having some, at least, branding connection, connection to either me or to, to Khan Academy. So. That's kind of the backstory of where it, it happened. And when it starts to happen, it just snowballs. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit awkward sometimes. I, it's funny, in the early days, I was much more self-conscious of it. N now I've, to some degree, disassociated the name from me, at least in my own mind. I don't know how, how true that is of, of other folks. I, I do feel like that sort of impression is here with the school as well, when people are like, this is the conical, uh, you know, the yes, chronicle. Yes. Like, I don't think people are like, oh, this is Sal Khan's Yeah, yeah. It, definitely, <laughs> it definitely, it definitely exactly. did get disassociated, because it's like, it's a school, right? So you exactly. want to you wanna replicate off of yes. that. Yes. Uh, because also this podcast is called the Concast, so that's why we were. That's why we were. <laughs> that's so why we were curious. Yeah, I wanted guinea pigs, not uh, condors, for the uh, yeah for the for the mascot. Just because I thought it was I wanted dragons. You wanted dragons. Yeah, I thought it because it was just it's just out there. Like that was like my own it's thing. It's connected to nothing. Why not? Yeah, maybe. Why not? Yeah. 
I'm gonna touch on the rat part of the of the, the school mascot competition. Yeah, that that was a that was a whole different thing. <laughs> but uh, no, KLS it's it's approaching like its tenth year now. So I'm I'm curious when it comes to like your views of mastery based learning, has that changed at all in the past decade? And if so, like in what ways? The, the overall philosophy hasn't changed. Mastery based learning is really just a fancy way of saying if someone hasn't learned something well yet they should have more shots at goal. Uh, they should always have the opportunity incentive to fix anything in their learning progression. It doesn't say anything that you somehow have to get a master's degree or you have to get like to this level of depth. It's just saying define what you need to know and if someone hasn't gotten it there yet, there should be some mechanism for, for them to eventually get there. So I'm a big believer in that. Uh, personalization is another word that's thrown a lot around with, with KLS and that can mean a million different things. Student-centered is probably something a little bit more tangible. The way I think about it is, uh, you know, the, the sc a school, not just our school, any school should just do what makes sense for a student or a family. And I think too many times the education system as a whole creates weird um, requirements that, isn't, that aren't always uh, in line with the best interest of learning or community, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of where we are and, and what I've learned, you know, I've learned that it's great to give student agency, still strong believer in that, but if students can decide when and how they work on a lot of things, some folks need a little bit of a push. Um, let's call it a minimum pacing. So that's the asterisk that I've added to my <laughs> philosophy of, of self-pacing, that you should have some minimum expectation, um, have some real accountability to it. You know, I've definitely heard on things like mastery learning if people feel like well i can always come back and improve it later they might not take deadlines seriously they might not take submitting it and, and you know that just creates work for a lot of people um for the teachers for other folks so i i definitely see the need to put a few more guardrails around it some strong incentives like look if you don't submit it on time the first time maybe you don't get extra extra shots at goal and you shouldn't you know for something that's very hard to grade like an essay or something maybe not get an infinite number of shots at goal maybe two or three, just so you, you take them seriously. But no, but overall, I'm, I'm, I continue to be a big believer in, in the, the, you know, what was written in, in the One World Schoolhouse. I actually feel like I've seen that idea of timing <laughs> sort of evolve through KLS, because I've been here for seven years, and so as uh, each year, you know, some teachers would maybe start implementing things like, just turn in whatever you have, you know, yes. <laughs> to make sure, turn something in, because that is sort of the point, I think, at least, how I see mastery learning yes. was you got to turn something in, put in the yeah. effort you can, and then improve on that later rather than just doing it later. Exactly. And, and you should care even about that some. I mean, something is better than nothing, but you should care about that something because it's 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 resource intensive for, you know, maybe AI is going to play a role at some point, but for, for a teacher to even read that something, it's taking them some time. And if it's not, like if you haven't put a reasonably good effort, it doesn't have to be perfect, yeah. then, then it's a... Uh, how, how have you think, do you think the trend has been good to put a few more constraints over yes, time? Yes, I, I actually really agree with the sort of philosophy of put out whatever you have because mm -hmm. I realize the school has definitely <laughs> molded or maybe just attracts a type of perfectionist that's like, yeah. I need to make the best possible thing I can and that's the only thing I'm going to submit. One draft, mm -hmm. one target, and it's not really the best, I guess, sort of workflow because things just... You know, things get delayed. It's never going to be perfect. You're going to always be able to do something better in the future. And so you 
I like this idea of you know forcing us to put something out there, and then you can come back and sort of work on that later if it needs improvement. You know that that that's a good point. The, a combination of perfectionism and loosey goosey deadlines is not a good combination. Yeah. Right. Um, that especially you know we sometimes think the stereotype is the student who's not turning something in time is is calling it in and not taking it seriously, but it might be the opposite scenario. And so the deadline, you know, a lot of the things that we always work on at Khan Academy is we have a lot of perfectionists up there. And especially in the software world, especially now with AI, things are moving so fast. I'm just like, look, we got to put something out there. And we have to learn from that as quickly as possible. And, and I've learned at, at Khan Academy, what, whatever the deadline is, people will fill up the time. <laughs> and so, uh, yes, it's a good life lesson, too, that at some point you have to ship something. <laughs> We, uh, you, you've brought up AI a few times now, and uh, it's interesting because the Biden administration, with their recent executive order, like on the 30th, uh, talked about you know more of like AI for secu- security, but they also talked about more of uh, focusing like their lens on using AI for education. Uh, obviously, we have Hanmingo and things like mm-hmm. that. So I guess seeing that actually in more of a political landscape, like does that reassure sort of what you're doing and possibly what generative AI's role will be in education? Yeah, you know, and I met with the with. with Biden and, and his team when they were out in San Francisco, I think the reality is people, you know, they're, they're putting out very like high level guidelines, but in education, I mean, the, the very tangible risk is the cheating risk. Right. And but that's not new to generative AI. I'm writing a book about this, Brave New, Wor- Brave New Words. And um, the, you get it. The, the, uh, and, you know, I'm, I did, I'm doing a chapter on cheating. Uh, right. Due to AI and you know, it takes you about two seconds to realize AI didn't introduce it. There's websites that will write papers for you for $5 a page, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we think there's ways to mitigate it. Uh, at Khan Academy, we're working on it. So a, a teacher can assign through Conmigo. The AI supports the student as they write. And then the AI can report back to the teacher the entire process, not just the final output. Right. And so th- then it's very hard to cheat. If you paid someone online or if you use ChatGPT to write your essay, Conmigo is just going to tell the teacher, I don't know where this came from. Like, this has just showed up. Versus if you really work with the AI, it'll say, yeah, we spent four hours on this thing. We had trouble coming up with a thesis statement. We eventually got there. We did a little outlining. And here's the whole transcript. Oh, that's interesting. So you're, you're utilizing Conmigo to be kind of like the guide rather than like a tool for cheating in that sense. Exactly. It's the exact opposite. It becomes a, a guide, a support. So, and that's helpful, too, because students can get faster cycle feedback. Uh, but, but even more, it, it gives the teacher a much clearer picture of the process, which could be pedagogically useful, too, for the teacher. And it has a side benefit. It becomes very hard to cheat um, at, at that point. So I think that's the most tangible risk in education, and I think there's ways to address it. I just described one. I, I think there's other things that people talk about, like um, if you eventually, and we are eventually going to explore using generative AI for things like assessment for open and free answer responses, simulation-based. And people have fears about things like bias. Um, but once again, I, I think there's ways to mitigate it. Uh, and, and anyone who creates these systems, I think, has a lot of incentive to make sure that, that these things don't exhibit any egregious bias. Because if it does, it's going to be social media posts on, right. uh, for folks. And there's ways to test it and audit it. And frankly, it's much easier to to test the bias of an AI, because you can just throw thousands of things at it and see if it bites on any of them, than it is to say the, the people who grade the free response for the AP exam, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're trying their best to be consistent and unbiased, et cetera, et cetera, but that, you know, that's much less hard. It's very expensive to grade that way. It's much harder to audit. 
obviously it's very hard to assess you know, from one teacher to another teacher, how they might grade different papers. Are they grading just on the substance or if they disagree with it a little bit, does that make them a little bit grumpier? Right. When they, when, I don't hope that doesn't happen here at KLS, but I can imagine that happens in the, in, the, in the broader world. So most of my fears around AI are around like national security, geopolitical fraud issues where totalitarian governments could use it. Already they can monitor everyone, but there's too much information to actually make sense of it. But with generative AI, you could actually understand what's being said on that phone line, on that email, and then it flags people, and then those governments could disappear people or interrogate them or, or whatever. So that's scary. Uh, misinformation attack. I'm sure this is, it's already been happening, but the 2024 election, you're going to see that. Deep fakes. Um, you could create a run on a bank by showing images or even videos of showing people, you know, waiting for their, you know, waiting to uh, withdraw money from their bank, even though it's a complete deep fake, it can cause a financial scare. That kind of stuff scares me. Um, phishing attacks, where you get a, a, a call from, sounds like your relative, to say, hey, I'm stuck, I forgot my wallet, I need you to wire $500 so I can get the tow truck, whatever. That's all going to happen. So I'm very worried about that. But what, what, you know, what, what, I told, what I tell anyone who will listen is when we notice the, um, the, the negative potential, when, when we see negative things happening, we then have to say, okay, is it possible to create regulation? You can write regulations down, but are they enforceable? And when you do enforce them, are they going to, be, are they going to do more harm than good or good than harm? And you have to be very careful about that. Because uh, the, the most dystopian scenario I, I can imagine is if totalitarian governments and criminal organizations have better and less restricted AIs than reasonably responsible actors. And people can complain about big tech, but if you, at the end of the day, a Google, a Microsoft, if their AI does anything bad, people are going to take screenshots, going to be social media posts. It's incredibly embarrassing for them. While obviously criminal organizations want their AI to do bad things. One thing about uh, just generative AI in general is, especially when it comes to education, is hallucination mm -hmm. uh, and getting misinformation. So I'm just curious when it comes to Conmingo, what are some strategies used to prevent that? Like, are there any sort of like architectures like RAG used or anything, some, something like that, that you would use to prevent these issues? Yeah, the number one that we, one, GPT-4 is, is, is a good bit better than 3.5. And then the other thing we've, you know, we've obviously done a bunch of prompting behind the scenes. But then on top of that, we anchor it on Khan Academy content. Right. So, if it, and, and, we, so and we discourage it from trying to come up with facts that it does not have <laughs> direct access to. I think in the coming probably year, you're going to see whether it's on the Conmigo layer or maybe even at the underlying model layer, um, more and more of AIs being able to validate what the data points, I know the folks at Google are working on ways where essentially they can footnote, they can say, oh yeah, here's the mass of the sun and here's a link <laughs> that, that shows you where it came from. Another thing we're looking at, you know, right now you can say, okay, it minimizes hallucinations by anchoring on Khan Academy content, but Khan Academy covers a lot, but it doesn't cover everything. We're actually working right now, uh, we have a hackathon going on right now at Khan Academy and one of the projects which is going to turn into beyond a hackathon is Conmigo existing outside of Khan Academy. So imagine going to any website going to the New York Times, going to Wikipedia, and Conmigo is there. And so then it can anchor on that. And it has all sorts of other interesting. You can get summaries. You can get quizzed on things. You can imagine assignments of the future where a teacher says, yeah, go read this article on, you know, in the Atlantic. 
and then Conmigo is going to quiz you on it <laughs> to make sure that you understood it. And then the teacher gets a report back, oh, okay, the students really look like they read it because they, they were able to answer the quiz. So um, it, I think, you know, we talk a lot. I talk a lot to the OpenAI leadership team, to a lot of senior folks at Google. It's definitely front of mind. I think they're very zeroed in on this hallucination problem. Um, over the next year, I think it's going to get very a lot better on their side. And then we are also doing what we can. But it's gotten it's gotten dramatically better. We, you know, we, we are measuring how often at least we get reports of it. And it's... Right. It's, it's, it's in the low single-digit percentages uh, of, of all the reports and things like that. So we're feeling it's getting better. I wonder also if, if, if you're like also taking, like, you know, like, I guess also like human feedback. And mm -hmm. if so, like, how much can you also trust that if it's really just a kid who might not understand why it's right and you're getting something like that? How yeah. do you handle issues like that? Yeah, there, there could be a lot of, I don't know, we would call it a false, a po false positive of, of a hallucination. What we're doing is we're logging all of this stuff and then um, we're then classifying it actually using generative AI behind the scenes. And then we have human beings going back and then uh, and, 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 and validating whether these are really hallucinations or whether they're not. And we're on the cusp, the, the underlying models are about to allow us to do fine tuned training of right. them. And so then we'll be able to do even more of like, this is bad, this is good. <laughs> you know, that's, are there, I guess, sort of like underrated areas that AI can be used that doesn't get talked about a lot? Like we hear about, you know, in national security, education, healthcare, but I'm just curious if you think of any fields that you think could really benefit that doesn't really get talked about. It's, it's almost any field, if you think about it for like an hour, you're right. like, well, I, I, in my book, I interviewed Ethan Malik, who's a UPenn professor, who's been writing a lot about using AI in education and, um, He's like, you know, there's some fields that you think would never be touched by AI, like roofing. But then he actually talked to his roofer, and they were already using generative AI to help create invoices and help interpret all of that stuff. So, wow, it's any any um, you know, we've talked a lot about teachers being able to use it for lesson planning, creating rubrics, creating papers, writing progress reports. I think parents could use it. We're thinking about adding some parent activities on Conmigo, where, but not your parents, but parents of younger kids. You know, how do I get my kids to go to bed on time? How do I get them to listen to me better? <laughs> how do I, you know, there's a million questions parents have, and it's nice to be able to talk to something about those questions in a, in a safe environment. So I think this, um, I, I was at a conference, and Larry Summers, who used to be the Treasury Secretary, was there, and he says, oh, you know, the AI is going to come after IQ before EQ. And I was, I was like, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, actually, it's in some ways, it's better at, modeling what an empathetic um, counselor or advisor or coach would do uh, because it's less likely to hallucinate in those in those circumstances than you know when it's really we know where it's, where it's worse is if you're doing like hardcore deductive reasoning right super complex that requires a lot of like nested mem, mem you know it's amazing that these large language models are can do it at all to, speak, to, to begin with but um, yeah yeah it's, I'm especially curious because you know I mean People mainly use Khan Academy for math, and when you have uh, Khan Mingo doing math, does that also kind of run into issues when you see that when it comes to math, sometimes it also tends to get things wrong more than if it's like writing something that's mis like that's just untrue. So I'm curious also if there's anything specific that you guys do to make sure the math is like correct in, in the background. Yeah, and it's not 100% there yet. And, and it, once again, what I've been guiding the, the Khan Academy team is we, we launch things when we feel like it's disproportionately net good. 
Um, and then there's ways to mitigate the, the, the negatives. Right. So, so one, I think there's just a digital literacy aspect of it. And, and it's not new to AI. There's things on the internet can be wrong too. Uh, yeah, but people sure. should just know that they shouldn't take whatever a Gen AI or Conmigo tells them it's, it's gospel. They should always, um, and you know, I think that's healthy when you're dealing with another person. Even when you see a teacher write something on the board, you're like, hey, that doesn't make sense to me. Let me, let me double check that everyone makes mistakes sometimes. Um, but we've gone through great pains to make it much better at math than the underlying GPT-4 model. Right. So we do a bunch of things where, well, if you're doing a Khan Academy exercise, it, it obviously has the solution there and all the steps. Um, when you when it asks you a question, what do you think the next step, and you answer it, before it answers you back, it actually is behind the scenes. I call them AI thoughts. It's coming up with what would have been reasonable answers that it would have responded to its own question. Hmm. And then it compares your answer to that. And then even if they don't match up, it doesn't say you're wrong. And you've probably experienced this. It says, hey, I got something different. Can, can you explain like that? That? Look, that looks off or something. That, that looks yeah. off. Can you, and that's actually what happens when, you know, if we were to tutor each other and let's say you're doing a problem and you got it, you know, you got X equals seven. And what I would do if I'm your tutor is I would first, okay, let me see how I could do this. And I'll say, okay, yeah, I'm getting X equals five, but I'm doing it without paper. So maybe, maybe I'm like, yeah, I didn't quite get that. <laughs> explain how you got that. And when you explain it, I'm like, oh yeah, 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 that's right. Or, oh no, you forgot that step. A negative sign disappeared. Mm. What happened? Yeah. Things like that. So it's that act of, I guess what I guess what ChatGPT might be missing if you're using that for a math homework is kind of like going back and forth of like how did you get there? That's kind of like its thing, in that sense. Yeah, and I think that's what a good tutor would do. I, I as you know, ChatGPT or even if you use GPT four out the box, it would just kind of give answers. It's not doing a lot behind the scenes, even making sure those answers are correct. It can be almost sure of itself when it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. We've made Conmigo. You know, it'll ask Socratic questions. It won't give you the answer. We're doing behind the scenes. It's checking its own math, some in some cases two or three times before it comes back to you. And even then, it'll say, "Well, I got something different." Um, explain, <laughs> explain your reasoning, yeah. which is pedagogically good. I also wonder if you know, since Conmigo is it's directed toward minors and learning, mm -hmm. if there's any sort of like I guess like safety concerns that are additional here rather than any sort of other AI language model that you might be dealing with. Yeah, and and the guardrails, and y'all have seen it when you've used Conmigo. It all the interactions are recorded mm -hmm. um, and are viewable by the parent or the teacher accounts that are tied to it. We have a second moderation API, uh, an AI that's moderating it. Um, I've, I actually think it's gotten overly strict. I don't know if y'all have run into the moderation AI shutting down I conversations. I have not, no. That's good. That means you're a good actor, not having any shady conversations. Phew. Uh, <laughs> but, but I was showing, I was demoing Conmigo the other day, um, and, and there's a debate you can have about the death penalty. And so it was a, you know, we were having an above the board debate. We weren't getting into like gruesome topics, but it shut down the conversation because mm -hmm. it's, it is on a more sensitive, topic. sensitive, yeah. sensitive topic. Um, and I, and I was using my account, which is an over 18 account. So I'm like, oh, it's, it's extra, <laughs> it's extra cautious on that. But yeah, we have that. And obviously, um, it doesn't, all the prompting is so that it doesn't cheat. It's, yeah. it's really there to support you. It, it seems like for Conmingo to work, there's a lot of like other AIs kind of like watching it. To make sure yeah, it's and working. Yeah, and Conmigo eventually is going to be a host of AIs working in concert. Yeah. Which in a lot of ways is like the human mind works. I, yep. I, I took a class in, when I was in college called Society of Mind by Marvin Minsky. Mm -hmm. uh, Marvin Minsky is you know, one of the early uh, kind of titans of AI. And his whole theory is that, yeah, the mind is literally, it's a society. <laughs> that there's a bunch of 
a bunch of um, competing processes that generate competing thoughts, which I think any, if, you in, if you introspect on what's going on in your own mind is pretty accurate. <laughs> like you, you have these thoughts coming and some of them have enough, get amplified enough that you're like, okay, I'll say that or I'll do that. But I was like, oh, that's not a good idea or there's competing, competing thoughts. Um, and I think you're, you're gonna see something very similar with generative AI. You also obviously have a lot of, I guess, education products. I'm curious when it comes to something like Schoolhouse.World, how do you see, I guess, any sort of AI incorporation there? And I'm also curious, like, does it feel a little, I guess, backwards in some sense when you have this AI tutor, but Schoolhouse.World is about, you know, having kids tutor other kids? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of, well, I'll, I'll answer them in reverse order. Okay. I, I, I think no matter how good Conmigo gets, and I do think in the next three to five years, it's going to get mind-bogglingly good. Um, where you're going to be able to talk to it and Zoom with it, and it's going to remember you, and it's going to be texting you and saying, hey, what happened to that assignment? It's going to be texting your mom. <laughs> and saying, hey, you know, he's really not on track. We got to, so it's going to be just, but at the end of the day, that human is still, at the, at the end of the day, you know it's not a human. Yeah. And, it's, and be, to actually be able to have a human connection with someone as either the tutor or the student, and, and it's extra cool if it's across space and that person's in a different state or a different country and it comes from a different culture, hugely valuable. And, and frankly, I think the, the biggest beneficiary of schoolhouse.world are the tutors themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're a young person and if you go out there and tutor, it's going to improve your communication skills, your empathy, your leadership skills. And as I've talked about in other contexts, a lot of universities have taken notice. There's about 16 or 17, you know, it's, it's all the universities that everyone wants to get into, some of the most selective in the country. They're like, oh, we want to see the schoolhouse.world transcript. And the reason why they want to see that, yes, they kind of care about what you've certified in. But even more, they said, did they go on to tutor it? And what type of a, what, what type of a tutor are they? Uh, in terms of AI, we're already doing some pilots on using AI to uh, look at the transcript of the tutoring session mm -hmm. and then to give the tutor feedback. I think we are not too far from using the AI to maybe give support to the tutor in real time potentially even the students as well, but make it transparent uh, to, the, to the tutor. Right. Um, you know, we haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I could imagine a world where AI could be used to help. Right now, the certification process on schoolhouse.world, you record yourself, record your screen, you talk out loud while, while you do a unit test or a course challenge, gets peer reviewed. Maybe the AI can validate that it was really your work and you explained it well. I don't know. I, I, could, I can imagine there's going and. In, in, in four or five years, there might be a world where you need tutoring, Conmigo shows up first. Right. And if you're still having trouble, <laughs> you know, you're in Try a the human to human, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, okay, we've brought up, I guess, I guess all of like, the major product, you know, Conmigo, Khan Academy, Schoolhouse, the world. How do you feel they address different needs of learners at different stages of their education? Yeah. Um, I, I view... I view Khan Academy as almost like the world's super rich textbook of the future. Um, you know, it, it, our goal is to cover all of the core academic material from pre-K through the core of college, to do it in a way that it supports personalization and mastery, which means students can learn at their own time and pace, they can take, they have practice exercises, they get supported by videos and hints, articles, now, now Conmigo. So it's getting pretty far. And you know, when you start thinking about even videos a little bit, but especially AI, it's going much, much further than an interactive textbook. It's, it's now getting into the domain of you know, some of the things that a school does. But um, 
a school does much, much more, as, as you know, uh, yeah. than, than what, what Khan Academy can do. And so that is really the thought process behind Khan Lab School and Khan World School. I, mean, I had a selfish motivation. I needed a place to send my own kids. But even more, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to die before at least trying to see if we can create a, a new way of doing things that is reasonable for other people to emulate. Because it would be sad if the world is changing, but in 50 years, schools look, for the most part, the same. That, that would be, I think, a lost, a lost opportunity. And, you know, uh, schoolhouse.world is interesting because in some ways... You know, Khan Academy is very high scale, very fast. Schoolhouse.world, in theory, could scale faster than KLS can, for sure. Yeah. Um, Khan World School could potentially scale pretty fast as well. Uh, but I kind of view it as there's the rich stuff like KLS where you're, you can use Khan Academy, you can use Schoolhouse.world, but then there's a bunch of other bespoke stuff that the school does that's, that doesn't scale well. Mm -hmm. But maybe Schoolhouse.world can take pieces of that or Khan World School can take pieces of that and make a more scaled up version of it so that you can actually truly start offering a free world-class education for anyone, anywhere at some point. And how do you think, I guess, Conmingo would play into also all of that? It, it, one, it allows us, um, Khan Academy's ambition was pre-K through the core of college, all, you know, all core academic subjects. As you know, Math is where we're strongest. We have the whole progression there. Science is close behind that. We have some humanities. But if you asked me a year and a half ago, I would have said, hey, it's, it's at least 10 years before Khan Academy is going to be able to scale things like writing support or writing feedback or being able to do a lab or be able to do a simulation, do some of that higher order things. I said, that's, that's the domain of the, the physical school. But now with generative AI, you can start doing a lot more, yeah. a lot, a lot more of uh, of that. Um, I hope in a year, teachers at KLS or other places, or well, two things. If you have a, a great school like KLS, your teacher might say, "Hey, I want you to, I want you to work with Marie Curie on classifying this new radioactive element, and it's like a simulation. And when you don't." do it, you know, the simulation of Marie Curie sends a note to your teacher saying, yeah, all good. <laughs> we, we went back and forth. We eventually did it. Um, but also, if you're an independent learner, if you're just some kid in rural Alaska and, you know, already Khan Academy or you're a young girl in Afghanistan, already Khan Academy might be a lifeline for you. Mm -hmm. for but now this will give you access to even richer types of, you could enter into Socratic dialogue. You could have, um, you can get that simulation with Marie Curie. You can... Um, you can get really high quality writing coaching, all of which I thought was maybe we'll get to in my lifetime. It's now happening, happening as we speak. So yeah, Conmigo allows us to go broader and deeper much faster. When it comes to, I guess, access to education, how, how would you support, I guess, groups and people who may not have access to, I guess, internet or these high speed, high speed broadband? So how would you be able to support them through like Khan Academy, Khan Mingo, Schoolhouse.World when it's really purely just offline access? Yeah, this has been a question from day one at Khan Academy. The, I, I, the good news, and, and there have been efforts and there still are where people take things like Khan Academy videos, they put them offline or on DVDs or they broadcast them on, on you know, over the air. Uh, but that's suboptimal because I think the, the core, even classic Khan Academy, the core of the learning is the practice and the feedback. And with Conmigo, first of all, Conmigo, you can't even have it sit on a standalone yeah. device yeah. right now. The, the computation part doesn't exist. 
The good news is the adoption curve of devices and the internet is one of the fastest adoption curves in history. And one of the few silver linings of the pandemic was that it, it accelerated that even right. more. Every part of the world figured out some type of a solution. And then you have SpaceX and Starlink. And so I feel confident that, first of all, over the last 10 years, you've already seen a dramatic reduction. You know, places like India, 10 years ago, if you wanted internet access, it costs similar to the United States. It was something like 30, in some cases, more expensive than the United States. It was 30, 40, 50 US dollars. Today, you can get internet access on your cell phone for, for, for dollars, single digit dollars. Uh, so that's a, a pretty dramatic. Things like Starlink might make that cheaper. And so our goal is to ride on top of that wave. Now, generative AI is also more expensive than just traditional web hosting, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But that also seems to be coming down by several order, at least an order of magnitude, hopefully every year or so, at least in the, in the short run. So, and the other good news, you know, we've been talking about this at Khan Academy, we have a dedicated instance for GPT-4 right now. Right. And we're like, no one's using it in the middle of the night. Like, why don't we just let people in India use it? <laughs> why don't we let people in, you know, in the Philippines? We're, and those are both geographies where we have teams on the ground and, you know, so we can start running tests. So, yeah, uh, we're, do we're doing everything we can to figure yeah. out how they can, how they can access it. So around this time, it's kind of this sort of you know college application season. I know Matty has been has been experiencing some <laughs> of that. Work. So I, I'm just curious about I guess your own I guess college application experience and I guess any sort of advice around that that you might have to give. Yeah, I, I you know my my experience I did it in the most naive way as possible, and which in some ways was good. Um, I mean I'll. I applied to four colleges. I mean, that might seem shocking to you all now. You yeah, have to that is very shocking. Yes. Everyone applies to 15, 16. But I, I, I applied locally to Tulane. I grew up in New Orleans. Uh, the, the, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the kids with similar academics to myself were getting full-ride scholarships to Tulane. So I was like, yeah, that could be a good bet. Um, in the last, you know, while I was in high school, some of the some of the really accomplished kids in my school had gone to Rice. Mm -hmm. so I'm like, oh, I'll apply to Rice. Um, and then my sister was at Brown. I said, I'll apply to Brown. And uh, one of my uncles told me when I was seven years old that if I wanted to be an engineer, I should think about MIT. So I said, I'll apply to MIT. <laughs> that was literally, I'd never visited. I had never, that, that, that was my thought process. Um, and you know, and honestly, honestly, the only reason I even applied to those schools is my sister taught me about financial aid. Like you know, that the tuition even then at most of these schools was more than my mom made in a year. Right. Um, and and it's interesting when I applied, I, I I kind of just showed up for the SAT and the ACT because I didn't even know prep was a thing. Um, and when I wrote my essays, I had I just had fun with them. Like I wrote a really like surreal essay for most of my. <laughs> like I was just. Do you remember what they were about? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember some of it. I, I remember my MIT essay. It, it was about a real dream that I had had, um, uh, wh where I I was like, I, I I was like walking on this this cliff, and then like there was like this like whale that was falling that was starting to talk to me, and it, and, and <laughs> it, it was trippy. I mean, and I it was trippy. I, I kind of tied it together a little bit, but it was just, it was, and I remember Rice at the time, they gave you a piece of paper where they say, do whatever you want with this piece of paper. Oh, now they have the Rice box. Oh, they, oh, they, oh, they still have that. Well, it's, you have to submit any photo. No context, no caption. Just oh. some photo and just say, oh, you know. At, back then, they just, 
they just get and you know I drew this big elaborate somewhat sur surreal thing um, but anyway that was my experience my advice and I've been telling it to a lot of the seniors is uh, and I'll talk to the juniors too it's dangerous to, as Buddha says attachment is the cause of all suffering and there's a lot of and I, it's not just true today I've seen this for decades there's a lot of young people who get into what they thought was their dream school and they're kind of like what now like oh this is just the beginning of my life this, like, this, is, this isn't like I thought I'm done like I got into you know name name the school and if, if and unfortunately and this trend seems to be getting dramatically worse although it was even in place when when I was in college you could almost pick any college um, and roughly a third of the students aren't happy um, and so I think for any student it's much better you know we say there's no right decision it's about making the decision right I think every student at KLS is going to be able to go to a school that has rigor and that has other students on that campus that are going to challenge them and that they're going to find their tribe. They're going to find people like them and they're going to feel pe find people who aren't like them that can challenge them and, 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 and expand. So if you have that, then I think the number one thing, and you're going to have all the opportunities, the recruiters are going to show up, you're going to have great professors pretty much anywhere. You know, I see where all of the seniors are applying, Yeah, any of those schools. Um, the, the important thing is you make the decision right by when you go there having a positive attitude, saying like, oh, like I'm here, let me be, let me step out of my comfort zone. Let me put a smile on my face. Let me go meet people. Um, let me run for office. Let me be active. Let me make sure I'm leveraging the, 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 the resources that this campus has. Because if you do that, pretty much in any of the places that I see everyone applying, you're going to turn out pretty well. Uh, but if you, if you go to you know, what some people think are like their dream schools, but if you come with a bit of a, a, a you know, negative attitude or you don't step out of your comfort zone or you just only – get drawn to folks that you're, you're, you're comfortable with, you know, you, you might have a substandard, you might have a substandard experience. Would you, how would you say, I guess, you know, since we were talking about this AI thing back, I guess back to that, how would you say that, I guess, helps this college process? Obviously there's like essays and stuff and, you know, any sort of conmingo system with writing your college essays. Do you think there are some other aspects that would be underrated? You know, I, I, as I was saying before, I think, the ability to talk to an AI about things that you might not want to talk to other people about mm -hmm. is an interesting one. So I, I think just talking things out sometimes can help lower the stress level. Like if you get fixated on something, like, oh, I need to get to this college, what, what's gonna happen if I don't get in and all of that, talk to the AI about it. <laughs> and it'll probably say, you know, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> it's, you know, and by the way, not your, your plan B is pretty good and, and et cetera. So, I'm hoping to actually add. We have some of that stuff already in Kanye. Yeah, I've seen it on the side yeah, where it's like college coaching. essays. Yeah, yeah. To, to, we have the college essays to help you give you feedback on your essay, and then we also have one where it's a, I think it's a college and career coaching, mm -hmm. and you go there and you just talk to Conmigo about your, your attachments and your fears, and I th hopefully it'll make you feel a little bit better about you know taking a positive attitude. Yeah, on the topic of this, of this, you know, having a positive attitude in college and doing things that you like. I'm just curious, like, what did you do to keep that sort of positive attitude? Yeah, you know, I, I would say the number one thing, and this will sound like very traditional, is make sure you're academically prepared. Mm -hmm. um, that is one of the biggest causes of students being miserable in college, is if you go and, you know, a lot of colleges, kids who thought they were top of the class and had great SAT scores, especially in some of the more rigorous programs or in some of the more rigorous majors, all of a sudden they're like, oh, 
no one's telling me what to do anymore and I'm not getting straight A's anymore. And for some of these students who've never gotten a B, it can be pretty demoralizing to even get that, 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 that first, you know, whatever, even a B plus or A minus even. Um, so the good news is I think students here, you know, we do a little bit of sleuthing uh, for how the last three graduating classes have done. And I think they all are doing well. Like they, none of them feel underprepared. And also a lot of the independence that you've been given at KLS, you've, you've essentially been treated like a college student here. I mean, you've also taken college classes, but that level of independence, no one spoon feeding you and giving you busy work around you know, every corner, that's going to translate well when you go to college. So I, you know, knock on wood, most KLS students already have that under their belt. I think on top of that, um, yeah. Um, it, you know, what, what, and this might surprise folks, and I still am an introvert. Like I, if, if I'm at a cocktail party or if I'm giving speeches and stuff like that, I get like, I need to go home and just meditate. I just need to go put my pajamas on, like watch some like, you know, reality television or something. Like I just need to like meditate, do something, read some science fiction by myself. Um, so I knew, I, but I knew I wanted to stretch myself in the other direction. So the, one of the first clubs I joined when, when I got to MIT was, um, it was called Roadkill Buffet. It was the imp improv troupe. So, you know, if you're an introvert, joining a comedy improv troupe will stretch you. <laughs> it will, it will, you know, you have to go to random college campuses, get on stage in front of, you know, hundreds of people. And they'll say, okay, give me a setting. <laughs> give me a scenario. What character am I? What character are they? And then you have to just do stuff. Um, and honestly, even to this day, I only did it for a year, uh, but I learned a ton, but it was the most stressful thing I've ever done. Um, but I did things like that. I, I you know, I joined any club that I thought was interesting. I, you know, I, I dropped a few that I thought, oh, it's not as interesting. But then once I got active in things, I ran for uh, leadership positions in them. Um, eventually, I remember in my junior year, I'm like, I'm going to run for senior class president. A lot of my friends are like, why? I'm like, well, it just seems like something to do. <laughs> Push yourself out of the comfort zone. And it did, because if you're going to run for something like that, you have to go meet people that you don't know and go talk to them and Kind of, and sometimes they'll be rude to you, and but, but it's a super, super valuable skill. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I think the, at, at almost any university, the number of resources and opportunities are there. It's, it's, it's just boundless, especially if you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and not just, you know, attach yourself to what you, what, what you like. Uh, and I've heard about, you know, you running for a senior class yeah. president. Did you sort of apply this, do something I haven't done before, sort of, type mindset to some of the classes you were taking at MIT? Um, for sure, for sure. Um, and you know, even the running for office, the first time I pushed myself out of the, my comfort zone was actually um, in high school. I ran for senior class president and I lost. Um, and then and I'm like, well, the term growth mindset wasn't really in the vernacular back then, but I was like, you know, what kind of a resilient person am I if I give up? So that's why I went for it again in undergrad and went for it again in business school. But the um, Classes wise, yeah, you know, I took some class. It's interesting. Some of the classes that you you either take because it's just different, or you think it might be easy because you have a, a a hard load other than that class, are some of the best classes you take. Um, I took a, a class in acting. My um, first term freshman year, at, at in, in college, and yeah, once again, it pushed you out of your comfort zone. <laughs> like you had to do things and exercises you know for anyone who's never taken an acting class it's pretty um you know it it, it makes you 
a little bit more comfortable or aware of your body and your expressions and things like that. I took a, there was another class I took second semester freshman year called Studio Art. I had no idea what the class was. It seemed like something that could be a little bit of a, of a vacation from, from other things I was doing. Um, but it was, you know, it was kind of like creating avant-garde art where like it was like, this, once again, I learned, you know, we did like, we did a little bit of welding, we did this and you know, I'd never done any of that stuff before. Uh, and then on the academic side, yeah, I, I took, I definitely did not try to like game my GPA or I took whatever classes I thought were interesting and rigorous and would challenge me. Um, and yeah, and you know, the good thing, MIT had, your whole first year was pass fail. So that also gave me courage <laughs> to take pretty much, pretty much anything I wanted to take. You know, for being in this sort of like education space for so long, I'm curious, like, what do you think is like the biggest lesson you've learned, like for doing this for so long? Oh, so, so many lessons. Um, I mean, depending what layer of the onion we're talking about, I think, um, I mean, like life lessons are like, you just have to keep chipping away at things. And if you keep doing it, it sometimes can feel a little bit frustrating or slow on a week to week basis. But then usually when you even look back over a year, you're like, oh, a lot happened. And when you look back over five, 10 years, you're like, wow, a ton happened. So that's one very, very high level meta thing. I think the other thing I've realized is when you're trying to do something that is in, in some ways fundamentally different than the norm, it's very important to over communicate and drive alignment. Um, I see that at Khan Academy, all, I'm actually both KLS and Khan Academy, you know, what is our interpretation of mastery learning? What is our interpretation of student agency? What is, you know, when we say things like um, no lecture, what does that mean? Well, it means that, you know, pe people shouldn't just be sitting passively and like taking notes for, for hours on end. Um, it could be teacher directed at times. It could, they might be leading a conversation or, a, um, but if, if, if you just write them these things down one time 10 years ago, uh, organizations and institutions have a tendency to either just go in a bunch of different directions or gravitate to um, gravitate to what folks are comfortable with or what they're used to. And so if, if you want things to be different and change and really challenge assumptions, someone and ideally a bunch of people are need to be constantly re reinforcing those ideas. Otherwise there's gravity. No, yeah, I, that makes sense. Overall, in terms, I, I did ask sort of, I guess, like advice for college, but also, I guess, what would be an advice just for any student who's like in any grade that you would have? Yeah, I mean, so, so I'll start with like very, um, you know, it'll sound like Uncle Sal advice. Um, <laughs> Wait, we love Uncle Sal advice. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. We'll take it. Core, having, having mastery of your core academics will go a long way. As I said, one of the n number one reasons why students when they get to college become miserable is that they feel str overly stressed due to the academics. Right. So that's why, and, and you know, one of, and related to that, if you talk to a lot of adults and if you really start peeling the onion of like, did you do what you wanted to do? And they're like, well, I, I kind of want, you know, not everyone will say this, but some people say, oh, you know, I kind of wanted to be an engineer, but I realized when I took that first multivariable class or that first differential equation, that was out of my head. So I, then I transferred to something else. Not everyone's going to say that, but you'll sometimes hear that. And that's a, what a shame, right? Because they were completely capable of learning that material ahead of time and then being able to go in there. So that's my first piece of advice. Have like really strong fo uh, foundations. And 
like a lot of y'all being able to do dual enrollment or even within KLS be able to take more advanced classes, especially if you're going to a really rigorous program, um, it's really valuable to have seen all that material before you see it in, in college. Uh, because some of, you know, it's not mastery based anymore. <laughs> you know, they're they're going to go at a pretty fast yeah. pace. And some of the more rigorous, especially uh, technical programs and engineering and quantitative programs, you know, they're going at they're going at a at a pretty at a pretty rigorous pace. But if you've already seen the content and then they're just going deeper, you're, you're going to do fine. So that's one. That's this very kind of vanilla advice. Master your <laughs> academics. Um, the second one is, you know, be like obnoxiously resilient and perseverant. Uh, you know, the the number of times that you'll even some people who care about you, friends, family. They, they might encourage you to say, hey, you know, maybe this isn't your thing, or why are you even trying to start that business, or why are you even trying to do that thing? Um, you know, there, there is a tension. At some point, you have to know when you, when, when you might have to cut your losses. Right. But I think that, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't do it right when you put, hit your first hurdle. So I think that is advice I'd say. I would say, like, definitely, it's very simple advice, smile. Both y'all should smile right now. <laughs> Very good. Like like that. Like you you probably feel like that's like too much of a smile. I, I used to have my my default face is not a smile, um, but I forced myself because I used to have people like when I was y'all's age say, are, are are you upset? I'm like no, I'm in a good mood. You know, <laughs> but like, but like I, my my default face was kind of dour, and um, I I almost had to force myself to to learn to smile and you know, smile with my eyes. You know, like you know, like really. But you'd be shocked. The more you do that and you project that positivity out in the world, it comes back to you. People are going to smile at you. They're going to remember you. Just you're more likely to to have friendships. And you know, I'll add to eye contact and smile. I, you know, these seem like such simple, small things, and have a decent handshake. Eye contact, smile, and a decent handshake, and um, you know, firm but not too firm. Um, and you're and you're gonna you're, you're you're that by itself is going to be good. Step out of your comfort zone. Um, I think it was Bill Clinton said this that you know the, I the, you know the best way to look like you care about people is to care about people, um, and I'm not sure if that's tr always true for him because he always looks like he cares about people, but but, uh, <laughs> but I think that's that's generally true. Like if 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 you know I had a friend and he was he's he's a brilliant um, surgeon now, uh, but when he was in residency, uh, he was he had come to visit, and he was complaining that his his um, the senior doctor had he got positive feedback on everything, but the one place he got negative feedback, he says that, you know it doesn't look like you 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 have you have empathy or that you you truly care about what the patient's going through, and so then I asked him I'm like, do you? And he's like, no, not really. <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> well that's the problem then. Um, so yeah, um, you know if 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 you truly care about people, uh, people. It will show, and people will gravitate towards you. Be a good listener. It took I, I even though I just called myself an introvert, and might not surprise you. I once I start talking, I can talk a lot. Um, I, I sometimes get, you know, I like to fill if there's a vacuum of of, of quietness. I, I like oh, I should someone should fill in and tell a joke or something. But I've learned probably longer than it should have taken me that, you know, most people just 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 want to be heard. They just want to they. they so, you know, it's, it's funny, a lot of times you're having an argument or a go, it doesn't even have to be an argument, a discussion with a friend and everyone's just waiting for the next thing that they're gonna say and they're interrupting each other. But you're gonna have, it, it, like, you know, you should always say, what, what's the incentive in this interaction? Am, am I trying to somehow like just interrupt my friend? 
or, or my family member or whatever? Or do, do I want them to feel better after having interacted with me? And if I want them to feel better for having interacted with me, I should just really listen to what they're saying um, and really internalize it and, and give them evidence that I'm, and, and I don't always do this perfectly. I, I mean, I'm still learning this, but it, it was an insight that I had probably later in my life than I should have that like, yeah, sometimes you don't have to put on yourself that you have to be the one to perform. You have to be the one that if you just listen carefully, a lot of good things will, will come. The last thing I'll say is meditate like that. That's been transformational, whether it's two minutes at a stoplight and just look at the red light and just try to clear your mind and just say, I am nothing but this awareness. Everything else is a concept of my mind. <laughs> that, you'd be a, you know, breathe slowly and deeply, uh, you know, box breathing, whatever. You'd be surprised how much of your life that seems so stressful and so unsolvable, if you start doing that even 10 minutes a day, but you start getting up to 20, 30 minutes a day, everything just feels a little bit easier. It's, I don't know if you're familiar with Rain-X. It's that stuff that people put on windshields so that like water beads up on yeah. it. You almost don't need a windshield wiper. I, I call meditation like Rain-X for the mind. Like, <laughs> Are you an avid meditator? I am every day. And I and every now and then I might go a day without doing it. And especially if I go two days without it. And I notice all of a sudden I'm getting a little crabbier. I, you know, I'm getting more worked up about things. And then I'm like, it couldn't be because I haven't meditated for two days. But then I start meditating and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not as I'm not as worked up anymore. So I guess the key advice is eye contact, smile, handshake, and meditate. Yeah, and 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 have solid academics and step out of your comfort zone. I think that's great. Thank you for coming on here, Sal. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, thank you for watching the Concast. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. Of course. No. <laughs>